0: This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR.
1: Welcome back to the ZMAR Podcast. Today, I have a guest that we're going to talk about some non-traditional ways of saving and uh, making your money grow. Siri Ibrahim joining us today. Um, Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Butch, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah, not a problem. Can you give our audience a little bit of background on who you are, where you come from, and, and we'll uh, lead us into this topic we're going to talk about today?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, um, what I do right now, I'm a financial professional. I help business owners and individuals grow wealth kind of outside of the stock market and on a tax-favored basis. Uh, I run a company called Financial Asset Protection. And really, this journey started about six years ago. I was doing my MBA. Um, I'm from Chicago as well, like you. I grew up on the southwest in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, and now I live on the north side. Um, I went to uh, Keller Graduate School downtown, and I was doing my MBA in business with a concentration in project management. I thought I was gonna be a project manager. And as I was taking the courses, I really didn't click that well with the project management terms and software and everything. I just didn't really see myself doing project management. So I started working at Allstate Insurance. I was doing sales and marketing, um, helping business owners like auto insurance, homeowners, commercial insurance. And actually, I really enjoyed insurance, even though it's not the sexiest topic, of course, I enjoyed talking to people, being a problem solver, because if you think about it, that's what insurance is, right? It's just solving problems for people. And I enjoyed that. And I started to notice that I, I became comfortable talking to people about money. And then they also became, I started noticing that they were also comfortable talking to me about their money. So, I wanted to make this into a career. I wasn't, I was still new to the industry. I didn't know what it was called a financial consultant, financial advisor, financial planner. I didn't really know, but I wanted to stick in the industry, uh, both in insurance and financial services. So, stuck through it. I got into Medicare after that. I was an independent broker. I worked at Blue Cross, Humana, Signa Health Spring. And I was working with people who retired from the city of Chicago and were merging onto their own plans. Did that for a few years. And then, um, I just kept reading a lot of books and I read a book called the bank on yourself revolution by Pamela Yellen. The book talks about the strategy that we're going to talk about today, the bank on yourself strategy. So um, I became a bank on yourself professional, and this is what we focus on now with bank on yourself strategy for business owners and individuals. And I'll be more than happy to jump in that and talk more about that.
1: It goes against um, a lot of traditional efforts for saving money and investing and and the strategy even just takes more responsibility back in your own house. That's why it's called bank on yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So you're you're paying yourself back in many different ways. And we'll talk about some of those and then just making something different that's not tied to something that can lose a lot of money and have a lot of risk.
2: Yeah, definitely. So really it was, it came from the infinite banking concept. It was invented by Nelson Nash about, I think about 20 or 30 years ago. And uh, the reason why Mr. Nash invented it was because he talks about this in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. He talks about uh, some of the financial problems he was having like one of them was the amount of interest he was paying to lenders and this was during like the 80s when interest rates were like 20 percent. he was paying in one year like 60 or 70 thousand dollars a year just in interest on loans he had mm-hmm. and he started to think about how common this is for a lot of americans how, how much we find how much we finance things and how much we pay in interest to other lenders so that's a huge problem for a lot of people even till today on average one-third of our income goes to service debt whether that's college loans student loans mortgages, car notes, business loans, you know, so a huge portion of our income goes to servicing debt, and that needs to be solved or or mitigated at least. And then the second is taxes, the amount of taxes we pay currently, as we're working now on the business side, payroll, all these different taxes we have, and as well as in the future too, you know, in retirement and future tax liability. So really bank on yourself addresses these two, mostly these two concerns, the amount of interest we pay and the amount of taxes we pay. And on a basic level, uh bank on yourself is the use of cash value, whole life insurance. And what that really means is, is that, you know, for there's three different types of life insurance, there's term life, whole life and universal term is set. It's straightforward, right? 10 year term, 20 year term, 30 year term. It's just life insurance for a set period of time. There's no cash value. Whole life could have cash value if it's structured properly and it also has life insurance part. And the universal is a combination of both uh, term, kind of a combination of term and whole life, but really bank I yourself focuses on whole life insurance. It focuses on the cash value and you using that cash value to become your own source of financing and to build tax-free wealth in the future. So just to kind of recap, it's using cash value, whole life insurance, but it has to be properly designed from the right companies in the right way to use it efficiently
1: and you bring up a great point because a lot of whole life strategies out there are too conservative and it yeah. pays dividends and it doesn't give the cash returns so some of these policies are a little bit more aggressive um yeah. and so then there's a consideration of what's the cost of insurance built in is that is that going to eat, eat the cash value alive and then is it set up correctly like first step when when insurance agents are moving into this area there's all this you know level level a and level b funding right and yeah. so a lot of uh, insurance agents will just leave it at the standard. And then if you take any of this cash value and something happens, it's not added to the death benefit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's subtracted to the from the death benefit. And that's just like the starting point, right? And then there's so much other strategy built in. And then, of course, when you get into it, we're not going to get to on this podcast, but there's all these point to point stuff, right? So you you measure it correctly, you put things in certain buckets, and then how do you put that in strategy? So it's more conservative, more aggressive based on what your wants and needs are. And there's so much more, but that obviously some of this conversations overlapping traditional investing. And so can you explain how this is a little bit different and then why somebody would actually not just, uh, we're not replacing the traditional route. We're adding to it um, so that you could have a little bit more diverse um, portfolio that has potentially some greater returns in the long run?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. So so definitely, it's not meant to replace any investment. It's rather it's meant to be connected or like uh, integrated with other investments. Mm-hmm. Like for example, uh, it's not either or. So a lot of our clients are real estate investors. Yeah. And what happens is they end up using bank on yourself uh, with real estate. So they'll fund the whole life policy, build up the cash value in it, and then borrow against that to use either for down payments or in some situations if they have enough cash value to completely finance the entire properties out of their whole life insurance policy mm-hmm. now you're right this is a little bit different than just you know investing a lot of people when they hear investing they're used to just investing in the stock market you know passively where they have for example some disposable income they allocate that through an index fund mutual fund or mm-hmm. other types of investments uh, through a, or a brokerage account A whole life insurance is a little bit different than that. You're allocating it towards a whole life insurance policy. It's growing. It's going to earn interest and dividends over the years. And the reason why, I guess the reason why one would want to do that is because of safety of principle. It's going to grow regardless of market conditions. And to kind of go further into that, like, why is it that safe? Like, how is it that, you know, in 2008, for example, when banks were going under and real estate completely collapsed, unemployment was super high. How is it that? life insurance companies still maintain their cash reserves, still maintain debt benefits, still maintain the the interest and dividends they were paying out to policy owners. Mm -hmm. It's because of the way they function, the way they operate. Typically, life insurance companies uh, in about 60 to 80% 80 of their portfolio is made up of bonds. And then 20 to 40% is in private loans and private placements that they give to other institutions. So they're super conservative and super safe as far as how they, how they function. Also, they work a little bit different. Like for example, when you go to a bank and you deposit like a thousand dollars in the bank, the bank can turn around and like loan out $900 of that money. Uh, Insurance companies are the opposite. They have to keep at least two times of their total liabilities in place. So that means if they have like a hundred million dollars in liabilities, they need at least $200 million in cash reserves. Um, So we're talking very safe and, um, and they could hedge against market uncertainties and things that, are, co- are really outside of the control of a lot of people. So that's kind of why people park their money into whole life insurance to kind of create a hedge against market conditions. And yeah, definitely. And then from there, you can use it. You can borrow against the policy to use for other investments. Like some people even fund a whole life policy, borrow against that, and then use to invest in the stock market or real estate or or your business or whatever it is that you want to do. But it's, I wanted to make the, the point that you could use it alongside other investments.
1: Inside the vehicles that you're talking about with the bank on, t- uh, on yourself concept, Obviously, I'm familiar with it, but so there's this, you know, upside gain but no downside loss uh, if if governed. Or are yep. the products do you gain and lose just like the regular market is? Can you talk just briefly on the ups and downs of the market and the cash flow going up and down with the returns?
2: Yeah, so with with whole life insurance, it's pretty straightforward. You have your initially you fund the premiums into the policy. When you're funding the premiums, when you're paying for the policy, you have two things. You have the cash value and the life insurance. The cash value is going to, um, it's going to grow regardless of the market conditions. It's typically throughout the life of the policy, typically about four to 6% gross mm-hmm. that it's going to earn in the policy. And it does not fluctuate at all. So um, it's a little bit different than like index universal life that does have some sort of fluctuating parts to it. But with whole life insurance, it's straightforward. You have a start point and then you really have an end point and it grows um, regardless of market conditions. So whether the market was up or down, it still grows and still compounds that way. And I'm trying to think of anything else other than the way to explain it, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So it grows either way there. It doesn't it doesn't take a dip. Um, it doesn't fluctuate at all.
1: Just to dive into weeds a little bit for some of our uh, analytical people that may be listening. Uh, obviously in life insurance is this target premium, there's a minimum too, but there's a target premium. So we're talking about actually taking in and funding the policy above target, is that correct?
2: yeah there's 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 a couple of things um the way that the policy is structured and it, earlier i mentioned it has to be properly structured from the right company so right, what, right. what that means is that there's there's like three components really to the bank on yourself concept of structuring a policy and that is like the first part is like the base life insurance that's just straight life insurance and then there's the paid up additions writer. the paid up additions writer helps you add more cash value to mm-hmm. the policy and it helps you like turbocharge it over time yep. and the third component is a term rider and the term rider helps you increase the amount of life insurance you have at a minimal cost. Mm-hmm. And the reason why one would want to increase the amount of life insurance they want, even if, the, even if the main objective is cash value, it's so that the policy, could you, you have the ability to add more cash into the policy on a tax-favored basis. In other words, if you add too much cash into a policy, then it could become something called, known as a modified endowment contract or a MEC policy. Yep. And that means that the gains in it become taxable as if it was like an IRA or 401k. And most people who are doing cash value, whole life insurance for cash purposes want to be on the tax-free side. So they add that term rider to increase the amount of uh, death benefit, which, which increases the amount of cash value you could add into the policy without it becoming taxable. So there's a really 3 parts: base, paid up additions rider and term rider. And this is where the property design part comes in. There has to be a balance of each one to allow the client to max fund the policy more then you know they up to actually the McLan up to the up to the yep. maximum limit they could add into it
1: and you definitely bring up a good point i remember reading in some of the material that um it wasn't terribly too long ago where they didn't have that regulation so these higher affluent uh, investors were dumping after tax dollars into a life insurance policy and uh, i had read somewhere they were getting like a $5000 death benefit and then like way overfunding the thing just so they can get the the returns and The the government's like, whoa, 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 and And then even during the Obama administration, they actually tried changing some of the tax advantages um, to life insurance. And to my knowledge, they didn't go through. You could comment if that's wrong, but to my knowledge, they didn't make it anywhere. But they did change it. I want to say in the 70s and the 80s is when they changed this uh, modified endowment contract type policy so that you can't just keep dumping more money into it without increasing the death benefit because it's a life insurance policy, so it's got to keep moving. Fund it, it increases. And and. Uh, you're right. It's got to be set up correctly because just imagine all those people that didn't get it set up correctly and they keep dumping more money into it. And then now all of a sudden they're getting a tax consequence out of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was actually uh, the Tamra Act of 1988. Yep. Um, yep. And you're right, exactly. So a lot of rich people were just adding in as much cash value as they possibly could into these policies, overfunding it up until you know however much they could get approved for. So they were essentially putting in like millions in some situations, billions of dollars into these policies. So now if any policies written after 1988 must have something called the MEC limit or MEC rules. Yep. So that means like, for example, if somebody's like 40 years old, male lives in the state of Illinois, wants to do $10,000 a month or $10,000 a year, the system, the life insurance company has formulas that are like regulated by the IRS and automatically will calculate or say, all right, your MEC limit is you know, $11,281. That was calculated by the insurance company. Now, this client, for their specific situation, the maximum they could add is 11,281 into the policy. Any dollar amount above that, it becomes a modified endowment contract.
0: If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a healthcare plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit elitebenefits.net or call 708 535 3006.
1: Let's briefly go over some business owner strategies. A lot of small businesses are all over the country, We they're the driving force of the economy yes. in a lot of ways. And so, Let's talk about some of the strategies, small and mid-sized companies. Well, I mean, even large, because some of them will grow and scale. Uh, mm-hmm. but what are some some strategies we could talk just from a high level, some ideas yeah. that they could take away from this podcast and say, Well, these are interesting. I either need to reach out uh the or if I yeah. if I reach out to their current guy and see if they even have the conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things you could do. So, number one, one thing you could do is Um, like an employee benefit. So let's say, for example, you're a business owner, you have one or two employees that are like very important for your business. It'd be very hard to uh, to retrain somebody new. So you want to keep them, you want to retain them. What you could do is you could own a whole life, you can have a whole life insurance policy that's owned by your company. And then the employee would be the insured and then the company would be the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. So what you could do is you can make an agreement with the employee and say like, hey, if you stay with us for 10 years or whatever the case is, whatever you want to structure it as, um, I'll hand over this life insurance policy with this cash value to you. You get the life insurance policy, you get the cash value. You could change the beneficiary from the business to your spouse or your kids, whoever you want. In other words, you get this like employee benefit. Now the employee has something to look forward to. If they stay for you know X amount of time, like let's say 10 years, that's one thing. So an employee benefit as a way to retain employees, key employees. Uh, number two, it could be used as a buy-sell agreement between two people. So like Both the owners would own the life insurance policy that would be owned by the company. The beneficiary would be the company. And essentially, if something happens to one of the owners, one of the partners, then the company would get the the death benefit and then they could use that to buy the shares from the the family. This this prevents unexpected partners in, in the business. Like, for example, if there's two guys that own a business, one of them passes away Usually, typically, a spouse or their kids step in to take over the business. Right. But it, and then when that happens, there's a lot of family problems that happen because they're not used to working with each other. So right. you could use a death benefit to buy out the other person's shares. So that's a buy sell agreement. And then third could be just as a contingency fund. Like I have one client right now who he's a manufacturer and he has about four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars that sits in a um, business checking account for about 90 days at a time until he has to pay his other vendors. So he has a lot of cash that just sits in an account. So he's going to have that sitting in a whole life insurance policy, earning, you know, four to 6% compound interest throughout the life of the policy. And that's going to be more beneficial for him than just having it sitting in a bank account. So there's a lot you could do. Those are just some of the strategies you could use. A lot of business owners also borrow from the policy to reinvest back into the business. You can get some tax benefits, check with your CPA or your tax professional, but there's some tax advantages you can get, like with the interest that you pay the insurance company when you borrow the money. Um, it gets very tricky when we go that far and it's, it's never just like a, um, a, a black or white situation. You want to check with your tax professional, but yeah, those are just some of the strategies that business owners use with Bank on Yourself.
1: So, and, um, for business owners, if they're smaller, let's say they're so uh, solopreneurs or work yeah. with a bunch of ten ninety nines or employees that just don't meet that mark for a key person employee, they could do this for themselves as well. it not doesn't necessarily have to worry about an employee base, correct,
2: yeah, definitely, yeah, and I, and a lot of them do like I did, for example, when I started when I started um uh, my business and I started my whole life insurance policy, it was just me. So I would fund the whole life policy and then borrow against that to use for my expenses and to pay other things, you know, with the policy. So, the, And the reason why is because there's there's this concern a lot of small business owners have is, do I save my cash or do I reinvest it back into the business? And there's a lot of debate about this. A lot of people have different opinions and it should be opinionated, right? It should be, you know, it, it depends on the situation. Everybody has their own ways of living and their own, their own ways of spending, Right. But both of them have their pros and cons. Like it's beneficial to save cash for the future. It's also beneficial to reinvest that cash back into your business to have a compound over and over again. So bank on yourself can kind of meet you halfway where you could save in the policy and then borrow against that and then use for your business expenses. So this way you're, you're doing two steps, you're doing two things at the same time. You're saving and using the money over and over again. So this way, out of 20, 30 years goes by, you've built your business, you've paid all your bills, all your expenses and you have you know half a million dollars in cash that you've saved over the years because you were able to retain that capital and, and pay yourself back
1: so, and speaking of that, because you're talking about borrowing money, how, what's the uh, lag time or how, what's the, the process to take some of that money for a business owner? Some of them need it within a certain time frame, but uh, yeah. is it just like wiring money or is it, Hey, I got a request and it could be two weeks to get the check.
2: Yeah. Good. So one of the advantages of this is that it's, it's, it's a very easy process. There's really one form you would um, fill out and then it takes about three to five business days. You have a couple options some insurance companies mail a check to you and then other insurance companies have like a direct deposit like one insurance company we're working with right now they're awesome you can literally log into your portal as if it's online banking and then you see like your for example max loan is ten thousand dollars you could request the max loan or you could re- request any amount up it up to ten thousand dollars and then you would just you would have your checking account on file and then you would just click request loan it would process it electronically and then in about three to five business days you would have the funds directly deposited into your account, um, and then as far as paying it back, you can pay it back on your own terms. There's no set period. You're in, it's paying, you're banking on yourself, so you're in control of the payback period. The interest you pay goes to the insurance company. The reason why is because while your policy is while you have your policy earning interest and dividends, when you borrow, it does not subtract from the principal. So like imagine you have a house, right? And in your house, let's say it's worth is worth five hundred thousand dollars. Let's say you have no mortgage or lien on it. It's just you own an outright $500,000 home. Let's say you want to take out a a loan for $100,000 against your property. You go to a bank you borrow $100,000 from the bank you pay that interest back to the bank leveraging your property now while you're doing that now while you have that existing loan that loan does not affect the value of your home your home is still $500,000 yep. it's still going to appreciate at 3 to 5% per year mm-hmm. regardless of the lo- of you having a loan or not so that's kind of how whole life insurance works you have the asset the yep. asset grows in value and then when you borrow against it it does not affect the value of it
1: all great stuff, and I and I think it's definitely a good strategy, especially for a key person and mm-hmm. business owner that's trying to leverage. And if they, as long as they they could get access to the capital within a few days, I think that could be beneficial. They could um, put the money in the account, transfer back when they need it. Uh, they just need a couple of days uh, leeway time to make sure the, the money gets transferred. And then obviously the employees, as they're maturing or growing in the business, and the, the business is moving in the right direction, it's another financial asset that uh, mm-hmm. can be held for golden handcuffs to some key employees because the employer is putting some money and investment into that employee and they don't want them to go anywhere because how many employers out there they invest all this time and money into key employees and then they're like hey i'm valuable now and then they go somewhere else exactly uh, yes you know? mm-hmm. and so it's given them a little bit of a golden uh, handcuff um so to speak is there any other points that you want to point out on the bank on yourself concept before we wrap up the podcast? Yeah, definitely.
2: We talked about some of the tax advantages. We talked yeah. about how it's not affected by market conditions. We talked about the liquidity. When you borrow from the policy, this is an important piece. When you borrow from the policy, there's no credit implication. It's it's not your credit is not at stake. It's you, there's no credit score needed. It actually has nothing to do with that entire system. You're borrowing from a private insurance company. And they're giving you a private loan, so there's a lot of privacy behind using whole life insurance, especially for wealthy individuals who don't want to go through traditional or conventional banking systems, where a lot of stuff becomes public information. Um, and there's kind of a lot of eyes on in that world when it comes to banking. But with, um, you know, another, another term for bank on yourself or becoming your own banker is privatized banking. You're literally, you know, privately banking. So there's a lot of security behind using and privacy behind using bank on yourself.
1: This has definitely been great. It's definitely a new topic and some financial advisors are probably going to go against the grain on it um, yeah, a little bit. Sure. And that's okay too, right? There's a time and a place for all these products and there's expert um, skill sets, right? So financial advisor, and I'm not, I have clients as financial advisors and friends. So mm-hmm. they definitely have their place for the financial portfolio. And then there may not be enough information in that setting to talk about the bank on yourself concept getting access to the cash, having to grow at a different interest rate than the bank. um, And then have a little bit more conservative so that you don't lose all the money if we have a downside market too. And so there's a lot of advantages there, especially on the tax side. And so this has definitely been great. Can you provide any contact information uh, for our listeners in case they need it for more information and they needed to reach out and talk to you?
2: Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Yeah, so if, if listeners want to reach out for like a free consultation, like a free 15 minute call, They can go to finassetprotection.com. It's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. They can schedule a free call. You can connect with me on LinkedIn through the website. You can check out our podcast, Thinking Like a Bank. All, every way to connect with us is in the website, finassetprotection.com.
1: Well, this has definitely uh, been good. And then also I wanted to point out that you have your own podcast. Yeah. yeah. And so is that available for access on your website that they can click on it and get access to the podcast stream?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when you go to finassetprotection.com, there's a link for podcasts. You can check out check it out. It's called Thinking Like a Bank, and it's on all major podcast platforms.
1: Awesome. Great. Well, this has definitely been great. I appreciate the information being shared. It's definitely uh, a unique product or a, a, more like mm-hmm. an idea to help leverage capital and, and get ahead.